And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Special VanCast on a Friday night, late on a Friday night. This isn't yeah. our usual not time slot. Not an emergency VanCast, no. J-Pat. No, it's not. We there were a lot of, we, we, were a lot of I, moving parts. I, were just... I haven't, I haven't like kept up with my uh, diet during the pandemic, so when I went down the bat pole, I got stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just got out. Now we're ready to go. Si- stop the sirens. We're here. VanCast yeah. on deck. Let's go, J-Pat. I know. I saw lots of people the minute the trade dropped. It was like, emergency. And look, we would love to have done it, but there were there were just too many moving parts this afternoon. And including, wanted... including our producer getting a massage. Yeah. <laughs> we're a three-man. We are, if nothing, we are a three-man team. Sorry to yeah. call out Domet like that. I, I'm sure he didn't appreciate that. <laughs> Anyways, we have uh, assembled the crew. Here we are. It's not an emergency pod, but damn, it's uh, uh, an important one. Um uh, I don't know what you like. I just when I heard Jim talk on Thursday, there were so many tells there that something big was coming down the pipe. Oh yeah, you know, for a guy that had been on the record talking about being aggressive, uh, you know, he hadn't been to that point. And so draft day is always fertile ground. Uh, Wow, I mean, one of the more remarkable draft days in recent memory for the Vancouver Canucks as they trade out of the first round. People know the deal by now, but the ninth overall pick goes to Arizona. Dylan Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings was selected by the Arizona Coyotes with that pick. So Big sigh of relief, by the way. If Kent Johnson had gone oh. with that pick, J-Pat, I would be like, I I'd be like, a Cam Neely trade for a new generation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but just but rem- yeah. remember that name. That name will always be linked to the Vancouver Canucks as Dylan Gunther works his way to the National Hockey League. And he's a heck of a player. I mean, scouts Great prospect. like that. Yeah. yeah, to go in the top 10. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But the Canucks... They are a better team today and tonight than they were at the start of the day. There's no question about that. It is the cost of acquisition and the remarkable risk down the road. They get out from under three onerous contracts, and then they take on an absolute whopper in OEL. Old friend OEL, he is officially a Vancouver Canuck. The longest negotiation in Vancouver Canucks history culminated tonight with the acquisition of Oliver Ekman Larson. Like, okay, there's so many parts to this trade. It is such, it is a mega deal, J-Pat. Like, the amount of money moving, like, changing hands, the amount of assets, the amount of big assets with massive cap hits. You know, I've been talking about how the Canucks needed to reallocate cap space into something that would provide them real value if they were going to fundamentally execute an aggressive offseason Basically, since the summer began, like <laughs> from May on, J-Pat, reallocate cap space, reallocate cap space. Yep. Yep. I didn't think they'd do it in one deal. <laughs> I didn't think they'd do it at all, all in one, J-Pat. I didn't expect that. Holy sh... It is... I have... Honestly, this deal, when I saw it, fundamentally broke my brain. Like, it took me a while to wrap my head around it. And finally, I started to pull it apart and begin to understand it. So let's start with what I consider to be the first of three trades that the Canucks made in one omnibus cap swap with the Coyotes. The first part of it I consider to be Connor Garland in exchange for a first-round pick in Antoine Roussel, right? And so Connor Garland is the big get for the Canucks in this trade. I know everyone wants to talk OEL, and Connor Garland, people look at his scoring stats and they're like, well, he's scored 12 goals this year. Like, whatever. So, yeah, played 45 games. 
He scored at a 65-point pace. At 5-on-5, five five, he's a top 30, top 30 NHL goal scorer over the last three seasons at even strength. This kid is a beast, an absolute monster in tight spaces. Like, we think, we think, and we talk about how Niels Hoaglander is like that pint-sized yeah. power forward, to quote Elias Pettersson. Like, wait till you see the edge this guy plays with in tough spaces. If you haven't watched this guy play, like, you know, not that he has the edge or, or quite the same level of theatrical insanity of a Brad Marchand, but this guy has a chance to be that type of impactful winger on one of Bo Horvat or Elias Pettersson's flanks. Like, this guy is an absolute monster. And I think if the Canucks had dealt a first-round pick and Antoine Roussel for Connor Garland, I would be, you know, politely golf-clapping uh, Jim Benning's work in my living room. That, to me, is a fair-value deal. Makes a ton of sense. He's an arbitration-eligible RFA. We'll get to this in a bit. Uh, but I but I thought that was, you know, Connor Garland's like a home-run acquisition in terms of, you know, the Canucks now have a top six that, for me, has four top-line caliber players, maybe five, depending on your mileage for Bo Horvat and Niels Hoaglander, who had a remarkable rookie season. Like, that's... As if that's not as good as any in the league, it's top five. Like it's incredible. It it restores the logic of the nineteen twenty Canucks lost when Tyler Toffoli departed, and then some because Garland is younger, younger, faster. Uh, you know, a, a little bit more dynamic for me. Um, even if even if Tyler Toffoli's ability to just generate quality chances just <laughs> is is probably a little bit higher end. Garland's battle level compete. Um, you know, just the fire in, in his belly that he plays with, that competitiveness, I think, is just, you know, a, a welcome bomb. Exactly what the Canucks need. I agree. I mean, you know, I was kind of playing around with what I would consider their top nine now with Dickinson in there as well. And you add Bud Coles in. And if you can push Tanner Pearson down to the third line, like you can come up with three really solid lines, like three lines that they should be excited to go to, to battle with. You know, the fourth line, it'll flesh itself out. Mott's there, and there are other component parts. But the top nine is legit. And so, absolutely, I'm with you. Uh, very selfishly, Connor Garland won me my my fantasy league this year, nice. I swear. Like, I got him super late, and all the guy does is produce. And then he got hurt at the end of the season, but uh, still. So, I've sort of got a soft spot for Car Connor Garland. I, I will say this, that, like, the Arizona Coyotes – Piss the hell out of me, though. They, 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 like that's the kind of player that every team in the NHL should want to be retaining. And like I was, I was already mad at the Coyotes with the Islander deal, uh, the Flyer deal, and now they've taken on these three terrible contracts for the Vancouver Canucks to get a ninth overall I selection. Love I love it. What a way to weaponize cap space. What a way to launch a rebuild when the NHL just stripped you of all your best picks. They, the Bill Armstrong had the week that Ron Francis should have. I think it's good work. I think I like. I have not been a Bill Armstrong believer since he took over the Coyotes' job. Uh, I thought he misplayed the Ekman Larson situation last offseason. Um, I think this has been a really good week for him. Now, now I agree with you though. The Garland thing is funky, and I do think there's like some my guy, your guy, internal politics, classic right. in organizations that have changed yep. management. The story goes, although this would be disputed by the likes of Don Maloney and the former. Coyotes director of scouting, but the story goes that back when John Chaco was just an AGM in Arizona, um, he had one guy that he was banging the table for, and in the fifth round, they let him take him, and it was Connor Garland. <laughs> and, that, and that, you know, from there, he's got like this mark on him. He wasn't my guy, and on and on. And, um, you know, like, oh, honestly, just stupid. Organizations sometimes function that way in professional sports, cross sports, not just an NHL issue. Um, insanity. Connor Garland's a tremendous piece. And, you know, I was talking to some Boston area, Garland, of course, being a Boston kid, Boston area scouts about this, uh, about this player today, just asking them what they knew about him. And I had one contact tell me that they were dropping their kid off on Thursday, like yesterday at the rink and um, at seven in the morning, dropping their kid off at the rink at seven in the morning, three sheets of ice at this, uh, at this rink in the Boston area. And Connor Garland's got a sheet of ice and he's just zipping pucks seven in the morning on a Thursday. He's just an absolute hockey Love nerd. It. Like all he Love cares it. about is getting better. All he cares about is winning. And for all the chatter that we've had in this market 
uh, and not just in this market, but in on national platforms about players increasingly not wanting to play in Canada, uh, about you know the the pressures and the social media, and you know they'd rather go to Seattle where where no one cares. Um, the Connor Garland is a guy who like from all accounts, and I don't know him personally. I, w- I was on his availability today. I'll, I'll, I, you know, I'm sure I'll get to know him in the years to come. But by all accounts, this is a guy who wants to play in a market where. It, he knows that if he succeeds, he'll be a legend. Like he wants the heat. He wants to be in the fight. Uh, this is a guy who's wired a bit differently. Impossible, impossible not to root for a player like this. I think Canucks fans are going to absolutely be over the moon with what he brings. So again, the first part of this trade is for me a, a really nice acquisition for the Canucks. Yeah, it's hard to argue. I mean, look, his NHL numbers, just his his straight-up takeaway statistics, he's played 164 games, so that's basically exactly two 82-game seasons. He scored 47 goals. Right. And it's almost 100 points. So, you know, when you take a 25, 50-point guy on the regular, and really, he's just getting started. I mean, he just turned 25 in March. So, you know, they're getting him for most of his 25-year-old season here and beyond. Now... They are going to have to sign him, and much like Jason Dickinson, there's a sort of second cost to the transaction, but he's their property, and they must feel confident that you know he's going to fit within their salary structure and that that part of it won't be an issue. But it's going to be interesting, like it always is, to see how the final tally uh, rings up here in terms of the, you know all the costs. Yeah. We know the acquisition cost. Now it's the cost to get this player signed. Uh, and with arbitration rights, you know, we'll see how this yeah. thing plays out. Well, you know, I've already modeled it, so let's get to that later. But let's yep. talk with yep. uh, let's talk let's talk the part second two. part of this deal. So part two. The second part of this deal for me is Oliver Ekman Larson in exchange for Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, and a twenty twenty three seventh round pick. And the thing to keep in mind here is that OEL, you know, two years have lapsed off his you know, max term contract. There's six years remaining. He's been paid 16 million in total salary and 16 and a half million of his total cap hit has, has sort of like told off his deal. Uh, he's a $50 million cap liability over six seasons, $50 million. And Beagle and Roussel are a $9 million cap liability over, you know, in total, in aggregate with, uh, a total remaining salary of four point two million. So contrast fifty with four point two and fifty with nine, and I just struggle. Like I really struggle to understand why the Canucks were unable to net assets for taking Ekman Larson. Like I get that they must have seen this as a really unique opportunity for them. I get that they value Ekman Larson as a top four defender. Jim Benning, of course, describing him as a number one defender. I have a theory about that. Let's get back to that later. But just looking at the books, just the numbers, like, yeah, I get it. Beagle and Erickson. Erickson, for sure, is press box fodder. Beagle, I think, if he was a UFA, I think he'd get, you know, a one or two year deal at one and a half million. He he checks enough boxes as a fourth line uh, center that I don't think he's you know, uh, the same caliber of like pure utility guy that, you know, maybe someone takes a one year flyer on at 750 K if that, uh, which is what Erickson is. But nonetheless, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that the Canucks would be throwing an additional asset into that deal at all. Especially when you look at Arizona's overall picks, I just don't see the value there for the Canucks. It's a massive, massive bet on a player who was brutal last season, brutal borderline, not, not borderline unplayable, but basically replacement level. And, you know, it's not like that one year performance is a blip, but it's also the culmination of a multi-year trend in which Ekman Larson's game has fallen off. Close observers have genuine concerns about his mobility issues. They've noticed him getting beat wide by skilled players uh, more often than he used to in his mid-20s. Uh, stop me if that sounds familiar, J-Pat, uh, yeah, with the Alex Eckler yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, you know, there are real, real trouble spots there. And to take on that type of liability 
you know, I, like I don't think it's the I don't think it's the worst contract in hockey, but I was talking to some people who certainly think it's one of the bottom five for defensemen. And uh, and <laughs> that's, not, that's not how I thought you were going to finish that sentence. I thought you were going to say I don't think it's one of the worst contracts in hockey, but I was talking to to people who do. No, no, no. Uh, I no. I, I well, I'll get I'll get to the overall reaction of the trade later because it's. A little bit more split than I think people would expect. A little bit more reflective of the conversation on Canucks Twitter, perhaps, than people would expect. The fact of the matter is, is that betting on OEL to bounce back to even be a top four level defender in year one, like, I'm not going to say it's a hope bet or like a far-fetched bet or a long shot, but like, it is a bet. It is not for me, like ipso facto clear that OEL shows up in Vancouver and in year one is a top four caliber matchup defender. And to take on that level of liability, considering that judgment, uh, which obviously the Canucks don't share, goes without saying, uh, you know, can't be understated here. A couple of things. One is like one of my lasting memories from the Sedin's final home game, that overtime win, Daniel scoring from Henrik, was that it was against the Coyotes. And when they lined up and they shook hands, there were two guys that spent more time than anybody else in that Arizona lineup with Daniel and Henrik. One was Brad Richardson, former teammate, Mm -hmm. and the other was OEL. And, you know, massive embrace out at center ice. And, uh, you know, they spent some time chatting. Like, have you talked to anybody in the Canuck organization to know what, if any, role the Sedins played in any of this? Well, I think they've got their hands in a little bit of everything at the moment. But I would, you know, uh, imagine at the very least they'd have vouched for his character and his hard work. And I did reach out to some of his Coyotes teammates who said the same. They think he has stuff left in the tank. His work ethic in particular is commented on widely by anyone who's played with this guy. Uh, This guy is a pro's pro. But... You know, all of the underlying things that I discussed that are red flags for me, or at least yellow flags, uh, remain. But but in terms of direct knowledge of the city and specific involvement in this transaction, I don't have it yet. It's an interesting question. I think we have to keep sort of digging for that one, and I'll, I'll dig on the, on it after we're done recording. But um, I would imagine that they, at the very least, they were for sure consulted about him as a person, and I would think that they had at least some input in terms of evaluating the player, too. And I know that there are other aspects to the trade, and we'll get to those in a sec, but, you know, you mentioned Jim Benning, and, and he did his Zoom. I mean, first of all, he went on 650, and then he did uh, Zoom with the rest of us in the media. And <laughs> the in both places, yeah, in both places, you know, he suggested what you just mentioned, and that is that, you know, in his mind, Oliver ekman Larson can still be a number one defenseman. And, you know, he talked about, matchup and and allowing Quinn Hughes to uh, bump down in the lineup and and find sort of a a safer spot to play because OEL's, you know, riding into the rescue here and he can play power play and he can play penalty kill. And like, it's fine to say all of that. And he may want to believe that, but the numbers just don't back that up right now. And so like, I do have this concern that, you know, like does the GM think that he has acquired a different player than he actually has. I have a theory about this and I have to check it a little bit before I present it as anything more than what I'm wondering about based on the conversations I've had out of Arizona and what I've been able to gather about OEL, the person uh, over the past, you know, six hours since the trade occurred. And so Oliver Ekman Larson's multi-year decline that I've discussed, right? did kind of occur mostly under in, in the Rick Tockett era, right? And I don't think the relationship with player and coach was particularly cozy. Uh, I think additionally that the trade sort of fiasco of October, right? The very public playing yeah, out of the sure. Ekman Larson saga created a very funky vibe in and around that club. And I think especially for Ekman Larson, who sort of knew he wasn't wanted. And my understanding is that if you're going to get the best out of Ekman Larson, it's best to make him feel important. And you know who'd have a really good idea of Ekman Larson as a person? Uh, Canucks coach Travis Green, whose best buddy happens to be Rick Tockett, right? 
Sure. Yes, and so absolutely. when I heard Benning talking about that, you know, I wondered if he wasn't in fact communicating to the fan base, but in fact was communicating to his new acquisition, a guy who struggled last year and felt unwanted in his previous club and, you know, the club's beginning to rebuild that confidence and, and show him, you know, a different level of love, like, like create an environment where he can come in, turn over a new leaf. Um, you know, I don't want to say be coddled, but be presented not just to this fan base and in this market, but to his team and put into a position where, you know, he's able to feel like, you know, we really want you. You are the guy here um, as sort of a way of, you know, helping him overcome and, and sort of be the best version of himself with with the theory that he hasn't been in Arizona in recent seasons. So my theory on that is that Benning was talking directly to OEL when he was talking about him as a number one defenseman and that it might not necessarily be a message that was designed for the fan base or even that reflects the club's true expectations for the player they just acquired. I always try to read into messaging, and so you may be onto something there. Uh, I found it interesting that the Canucks make this massive deal, uh, one that's been talked about uh, going back to last October. They land their guy. Jim does media. Connor Garland does media. And we haven't heard from OEL. And perhaps it was a time change thing late on a, a totally. Friday afternoon. It totally was. It, by 2 o'clock, by 2 o'clock Pacific time, right, which is shortly after the deal becomes public, it's, yep. mi- it's midnight in Stockholm. Okay, but the Canucks haven't put out any indication that he's going to be available on Saturday. I saw Halford and Ruff saying he's going to be on their radio show on Monday morning. Like, are we going to hear from this? I, I bet they roll him out on Monday. I bet they get through the draft and they do Todd Harvey at the end of the draft. And then, you know, I'm sure Jim will talk to people on Sunday and then we'll hear from OEL on Monday. That's my guess. And, see, and, and, and that may be the way it plays out, but this is what I wonder. Like, this is a guy that's only known life in the National Hockey League in the worst franchise. I want to say the worst city because I like Phoenix as a city. But, you know, in terms of media coverage, demands, uh, the pressure and the scrutiny and everything else, like he's in for a life change. And lots of Swedes have played here. and But he wanted here. it, man. Right. But but again, he doesn't like he doesn't know what he's in. For. No, he doesn't. Like, he's had a taste. He's had a taste of it coming through Canadian markets. But this is his life now. And I wonder if they're giving him a little bit of space too, just to sort of, you know, process it all. Like this is, it would, even though the whole idea of a trade has been front on the front burner for the better part of a year. Now that it's actually happened and he has to pick up his life and move it, you know, I'm sure it would take a couple of days to process it all. So maybe they're giving him the weekend just to, think it through. They, they also um, might just want mo- news on Monday. Like they also just might want to roll him out as like this big, no, we'll still be talking about this. On yeah, Monday. Well, that's for sure. We will. But also, <laughs> but also, you know, if you, if you, if he was available today, like he's on the Friday, six o'clock news, like who cares? I hear you. You know, like, yep. I, I mean, for a team whose digital footprint is basically non-existent, right? Like I saw the Canucks post a unique article ahead of the draft and I was like, whoa, they do content again. Like, wow. <laughs> like, you know, they, they, they just haven't been the footprint, the, and we've talked about it, the energy around this Canucks offseason. Like until today, it felt lesser than it has in a long, long time. Don't you think? And no, uh, absolutely. It has. And, yeah. and, you know, now you've got a, like Garland's the bigger acquisition in terms of his hockey value. By December of next year, I predict he's going to be a star in this market, and Ekman Larson's going to be not a you know a bit player, frankly, on on a team, right? Um, you know, uh, in the Tyler Myers mold more than in the Quinn Hughes mold, and yet in terms of registering with Joe Fan, right ahead of you know with your schedule out and your ability to roll out and like get people excited to do collective things like going to a Canucks game together again like rolling out Ekman Larson on Monday uh I think can help like I think that's uh, for me anyway that just unpack it too is what would I do if I had a player who was already asleep and I couldn't get him to do media the day I acquired him I'd be like well I've got media tomorrow it's day two of the draft we'll have some news we might make some trades you know let's let's wait till Monday and and do the full blitz Fair enough, and you've got experience in that regard that that I do not. Where are we? We've we've broken this trade down 
two ways so far. The last was, one, the last one is the retention. For me, right. For me, you pay the second round pick in 2022 in exchange for the Arizona Coyotes keeping six million in actual salary and just under six million in cap hit over the next six years. And for me, that's fair value. I can't object to that, and I can't object to you know, the Garland for a first in Roussel. But when I look at the value of Ekman Larson for, you know, Erickson, Beagle, and a seventh, that's where I just don't think, like, I, I, it just feels, again, like the Canucks should have, you know, been able to be like, well, the money is so big that, you know, we don't give you the second to retain, right? Like, or, you know, we get us, you, you have five seconds. You have five seconds next year. Like, we get one of those. Come on. Um, <laughs> the, the, to me, the value is just not there in that portion of the deal. And, you know, with, there's larger big picture strategy things to take away from this, too. And we'll get into those, too, because this is an emergency bandcast. And I know we've already gone for like 25 minutes, but we'll keep going. That, to me, is where this deal you know, when I look at the trees as opposed to the forest, when I look at the trees, the value to me, the value concern that I have is like, how are the Coyotes not paying to level out the fact that the Canucks have taken on, you know, like, like 400% more in cap liability and double that in salary liability in this transaction. Like that to me just doesn't compute. No, look, when, and I love the way that it, sort of came down in pieces, right? Like we got wind that the deal was happening and that OEL was involved and Garland was part oh, of it. I and hated then, that. <laughs> no, I, 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 the way it kind of, well. I was scrambling I, I like a madman. Right. And, and so the way I saw it originally presented was OEL and Garland for the ninth overall pick and these three bad contracts that the Canucks have been trying to get out from under for a while. And I started to process it that way. And I thought, okay, like I, you know, we sort of break it down and look at it in all the component parts. And then I saw the second and the seventh. And I thought, like, ah, oh, that second. Uh, again, I, I think part of me was upset that, and not upset, but draft day is way more fun when the Canucks are picking. And so for the second year in a row, they didn't have a first round pick. And we can talk about, you know, the impacts there, obviously, uh, later in the podcast here. But it was just like, you know. For a guy that gets such credit, and I'm talking about Jim, for being this draft guru, it's just, it is incredible how many draft picks slide through his grasp and wind up elsewhere. And then he always talks about recouping, right? Like that, that's like, if there's one tradition in Vancouver around draft time, it's these questions to Jim about recouping draft picks. And he was asked again today and says he's going to try. And, and there are still pieces that, May move here on this weekend, may not. We'll see what happens. But, um, you know, man, they have they have given up a ton of draft capital here in the last couple of years. They have. And and what do the best drafting teams do, J-Pat? Do they, they – are they the best – They draft. At, are, are, they draft. <laughs> are they, but are they the best at scouting or do they have the most picks? The answer is that they have the most have picks. The most, yeah. It's a volume game. And, you know, the – Fact is, is that when you draft this rarely and you draft this late, you have runs like the Canucks occasionally had, you know, in 2010 through 2012, right? <laughs> like, th that's what happens. And, yeah, I mean, this Canucks system, once once Pod Colson and Rathbone graduate and with Cole Lind exiting the franchise, like, you know, there's a real chance we're, we're talking about top Canucks prospect Aiden McDonough by the spring. And like that guy can't be your top prospect. I think he's a really good prospect. He just you just can't have, you know, dime a dozen guys like Arvid Kosmar being your top five prospects, especially when this club's going to have a core that gets really expensive is and is gonna need, you know, a, a sort of um conveyor belt of ELC contributors if they're going to stay competitive. Uh yeah, I mean it's that's well, and, and look, there's implications in this, too, for day two of the draft, which is if the Canucks have an opportunity to trade down and add draft capital, like that might be their best bet with this second round pick. I think they should strongly consider, especially if like a certain guy's on the board and certain teams like him, if they can turn that second round pick into extra picks, like they got to do it. They got they should be trading down aggressively 
all day tomorrow. That should be the whole game plan. Just make as many picks as you can. This class is so uncertain. Um, you know, and I'm sure they, there's some guys like if, you know, a guy like Pinelli's still available at 41, 40, really, um, yeah. you know, you probably do have to take him. But considering this club's dearth of just stuff in the system, like I, I really think they should consider that approach. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So day one is in the books. Canucks didn't have a pick. You mentioned the fact that uh, they've got that 40th selection. We'll see uh, how that all plays out. Uh, and I know you and Dollywall did a piece sort of late Thursday night into Friday morning on some of the things you're hearing. Uh, Braden Holpe and Nate Schmidt remain Canuck property. Uh, what's your sense as we move into day two of the draft on uh, their situations and the likelihood that one or both of them gets moved. So we were we were working on that last night. Now, always fun to work with Ricky by the way. I just it's just <laughs> it's just a blast. Like not only do I think we get really good stuff when we when we work together, uh, but we always have so much fun doing it. Like it's just we talk eight times over the course of the day. You know, he answers the phone. He's like, "Yes, sir." And uh, we just we just figure out a bunch of stuff and it was and it was a ton of fun. Um, an inside baseball story though is that Chase Wooters. We had Chase Wooters signing an AHL contract and we thought it would be announced next week. And then the Canucks scoop us by announcing it. So all of a sudden we had to like go looking and digging for other AHL names. It was a wild, wild chase on that. But when we heard that Holtby, his agent, David Kay, has been given permission by the Canucks to go find trade suitors, like that's not good news, right? And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that Holtby had suitors, but they were always qualified. It was always retention involved or sending money back. And I think a lot of the value and interest was tied to the idea that Holtby would go to the Kraken, um, potentially be flipped, potentially be double retention, that there were opportunities around the expansion draft with Holtby. And on the other side of expansion, I think a lot of that market has cooled. And so I do think the Canucks, you know, I, I heard from sources early this morning that the Canucks are desperate to move Holpe. That matches some of what we were hearing weeks ago, but I do think that desperation's returned. And now the Canucks are in a position where they have to move him and they have to move Schmidt too. Like they have now locked themselves in to this. And I talked about having modeled out their cap space a little bit. So the fact is that the Canucks are now locked into a summer where there's going to be a monster amount of RFA work, J-Pat. Elias Pettersson's second contract still not done. Quinn Hughes' second contract is still not done. That stuff we're aware of. We're familiar with the shape of it, the likely valuations on bridge contracts. And yes, the Canucks are still locked into doing bridge contracts with those players. Now, you throw in Garland and Dickinson into the mix. Both players two years out from restricted or unrestricted free agency both have arbitration rights basic range for dickinson 2.3 to 2.8 talk to a lot of people in the business about that that's sort of a rough consensus canucks definitely think they can beat 2.5 if it's a one-year deal um you know i think it's going to be a little bit more than 2.5 in the event that dickinson they buy ufa years from dickinson in Garland's case, you're looking at 3.75 to 4.25, maybe as high as 4.5. Uh, you know, you could get up to as high as 5 if they're buying out significant amount of UFA years. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd imagine they'll look to do something like 3 or 4. That's what I'd look to do. Something like 3 or 4 at 4.5. Four uh, that would seem to sort of fit the bill. So when you throw all of those sort of deals into the mix, J-Pat, you've got a situation where you probably have to earmark, you know, 13 and 14 million for Pedersen and Hughes, plus an additional seven for yeah. Garland and Dickinson, seven and a half. That's all of the Canucks' cap space. So fundamentally, with Furland on LTI, with Vertanen bought out, right? 
no longer have to bury Erickson in the minors, J-Pad. It's a beautiful no, day. Don't. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> um, with all of those assumptions made, like my model has the Canucks capped out, fundamentally capped out with 18 bodies on the roster and a need to sign at least two everyday players, a sixth defenseman and a fourth line center in addition to having enough space to like operate and have depth throughout the campaign. That's a tough spot to be in. Like that's a really tough spot to be in this far out. And as such, we are now in a situation where a Schmidt and a Holpe deal, at least one of them has to go, has to go. And ideally both go because I don't know that either can go without the Canucks either retaining or taking salary back. And I think you probably need to clear $4 million in space at minimum. That's going to be a really tough nut to crack. And that's something the Canucks have to do and probably have to do before the market opens, frankly. If they're going to go out and make some of the plays that they should make to sort of further flesh out their depth with some, you know, $1 million bets here and there for guys who like Brad Hunt, who the club is certainly interested in as a, you know, depth defensive option plus, you know, a potential Abbotsford all-star uh, type player, uh, like or Kyle Burrows, similar clubs interested in him to fill that sort of 8-9 role and be like a stud in Abbotsford or a, a you know, competent depth guy at the NHL level. If you're going to do those deals like you really need to clear four-ish in space, I just don't I they, they have to move I think both of those guys here and, and the pressure is going to be on them to get those deals done, you know, certainly ideally in the next five days. Yeah, because uh, like, look, every team knows every other team's business, but like every team in the league knows the Canucks are up against it. Nobody's going to want to do Jim a favor in terms of, you know, oh, we'll take some of that money off your hands just because we're nice guys. Like, um, you've already made your play with Arizona. Like that seemed like a dumping ground and, and I don't imagine they can go back to that well. So uh, I am a little curious uh, to see how this all plays out. And also, you know, like I know Jim said, we'll match uh, when he was asked the Pedersen offer sheet question. Uh, again, I would sleep better. I would think if I was the Canucks being able to get that put to bed, but maybe it's in the Pedersen camp best interest to see if there's somebody out there that wants to jack up the rate for him and 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 take over these negotiations and take it out of the Canucks hands. So, uh, you know, do they have the room and the flexibility necessary if somebody was to try to poach on Wednesday? Totally. Uh, they do. And here's why. Because if it came to it, if it came to it, you still have multiple years with Garland and Dickinson, right? So like, you know, my model is based on relatively high estimates for Dickinson and Garland based on optimal solutions, you know, like based on going multi-year and maybe buying some UFA years and uh, kind of trying to keep them cost controlled, like betting on those guys to work out so that maybe you get some surplus value after they do. Like if Dickinson's a 35 point player next year and you signed him to a one year deal at 2.3, like, yeah, that's better than having him on a three year deal at 2.75 or a three-year deal at, at 3.9 or 2.9. But if he hits 35 points and then you're looking at paying him three and a half, four, that's a problem. You know, like that's a, that's an issue. If Garland goes off next year and you've grinded him at arbitration down to three and a half, three, two, five, like, great, you've got one year of surplus value, but now he's a five and a half million dollar piece. Like you don't want that. So, the fact is, is that the Canucks have options with how they approach some of their secondary RFAs to save a little bit more money. You know, if Pedersen got a $10 million offer sheet, they could grind Hughes. Um, you know, they could they could trade or retain to move Schmidt or Holpe. But your options aren't that good, right? Like, your options aren't great. No, and you no, don't no. want to detonate this cap structure all, all around. Like, at this point, you want to bridge Pedersen. You want to bridge Hughes. You want to go a little bit longer and buy a UFA year or two from Garland and Dickinson. And to accomplish all that, you kind of need Hughes and Pedersen to come in, not at 14, but at, you know, 13.5 or 13 all told. And so, yeah, they're at a delicate stage here for sure. And that's, again, why the leverage now of clearing space, clearing Schmidt, clearing Holtby, um, you know, getting Pedersen done, especially before the 28th. Like, yeah, those are really, really important things that the club should should be doing everything they can to accomplish uh, before the and, market you know, opens. You, 
you talk about Brad Hunt and, and Kyle Burroughs, and that's fine. Like Every team needs those depth guys, but this team needs an NHL defense. And let's just, for the sake of argument, say that they do complete a Nate Schmidt deal. I Okay, so you got OEL, you've got Tyler Myers. You're going to have Quinn Hughes under contract at some point here. Rathbone. Rathbone. Yolevi. Uh, and Yolevi, yeah. But, man, like there are still gaps, particularly on that right side. Yeah. And... You know, like, the good thing is, though, Jim- is that at least at least like Schmidt fills that gap if you can't move him. Right. Like that's at least at least you really, really the way it looks now is if you could move Holtby, you know, and you, you're looking at a third pair righty, you know, like that's not the worst. But, yeah, no, you're right. They need to move both and they need to get two right handed defensemen. It's going to be really tough. I, sh- well, I shouldn't they- sugarcoat it. They have a no, lot of work I mean, to do. I, and I think our VIPs understand that. And and the other thing is, if they do move Holpe, they need another backup goaltender, right? Right, like, that's true. Somebody's got to come in and play. So, no, I mean, look, we've said this all along. This is a big, big week for the Vancouver Canucks. I know they're happy with the business that they have done here on day one of the draft, but uh, uh, the work isn't done, not by a long shot. And, and they are a better team. They are a better team with the players that they have assembled here in the short term, but... Uh, that top six is sick. Yeah, and sick. that's exciting. Like, for a fan base, like, you know, people that can get back to the rink and watch this team for the first time in 18 months, like, there is a lot to like up front there. And and I'm curious to see how they round out that fourth line. Like, you know, Tyler Mott, they've got McEwen under contract still for uh, next season. You know, does this open the idea to Brandon Sutter coming back at uh, a million bucks or you know, Travis Boyd, perhaps. Maybe they loop around and take another run at, at Travis Boyd. Uh, I think know, Boyd it, is more likely than Sutter, personally. Is that just uh, like an age-related thing, or do you think they liked what they saw, even though there wasn't a whole lot to see in his time as a Canuck? I, I mostly just think that Sutter is more likely to leave at this juncture. I, the role is now reestablished where they could resign him to be their 4LC, but I just think that Sutter is more likely to leave and that they're more likely to circle uh, back on Boyd, a player they've kept in touch with. Um, You know, I I just think that that's going to be more fruitful shopping ground for them at this point. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Now, the Canucks did not have a selection in round number one. A bunch of other teams did. Columbus had three. A bunch of teams had two. Uh, We saw Minnesota move up. Judd Brackett got some television time. Uh, Nice work, I think, by the Minnesota Wild. Really, really nice work. How about about the old Canucks Army boys selecting Port Moody, well, North Van legend Kent Johnson? (laughs) How about that? What a good Vancouver hockey story that is. Well, no, no question. But also... Like, it seemed like it was there on a platter for Edmonton to take Wallstead. He had dropped and dropped. I know. And they, they had the pick at 20, and they traded down for a third-round pick and allowed Minnesota to move up and, and grab the second goaltender off the board. So a little yeah. bit of a curious. Oh, and uh, Wallstead and Lambos in the 20s. Like, that's incredible work for the Wild. Just just tremendous. And so, you know, the first round, again, we had talked about volatility. Uh, no surprise that Owen Power goes first overall. Seattle takes Matt Beneers. Uh, you know, these weren't huge surprises. What a what a first five picks for the University of Michigan. You know, three players off their roster and Luke Hughes that's on his way. Uh, Quinn got some camera time. Man was Jack jacked at the selection <laughs> of like a, it was. He looked like the Energizer Bunny there. Like I was worried for him. Uh, but great camera shot. It was just you know it was fun. No wonder like, he's so hard to check moving like that. <laughs> Good. Uh, you, know, you know what I like. 
after a year and a half of no social gatherings, like it was cool to see guys being able to celebrate yeah. with family and friends and, you know, draft parties and those types of things. So it just, to me, it kind of, I know it wasn't a normal draft because there wasn't a draft floor, but I felt good for the kids that, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't have to be like isolated in a room uh, to get the news. They could be surrounded by loved ones and celebrate with people that uh, mean a lot to them. It was awesome. And the, the, dra- the draft broadcast dragged, but the Hughes brothers were a highlight. And I agree with you. Like, what was the kid who got drafted whose dad by the Dallas Stars, whose dad just went nuts? I loved that. One of my favorite things was the static camera that everybody had set up on their coffee table. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, when they're sitting down and they're waiting for the pick and then everybody jumps up and it just became a butt cam. Like you got everything. <laughs> that's all it was. Every pick, pick after pick. It was the butt cam. Very cool. So uh, life we live in, in, uh, you know, uh, the virtual age, I suppose. And again, the draft, as you said, like it, it did kind of feel like it dragged a little bit and, and whatever. That's fine. Uh, and then it took a dark turn with the last two picks. And insane. Like, I didn't did not see that coming. Uh, I, I still like hours after the fact, I'm still struggling with this idea that the Montreal Canadiens just plowed through the stop sign that was there uh, put out by Logan Mayhew, who asked not to be selected and Montreal said, who cares? Like, we're taking you. We're taking you with that 31st overall selection. Uh, all the goodwill that the Montreal Canadiens had built up for this uh, with this incredible uh, playoff run to the Stanley Cup final. And uh, they're getting shit on, and, and rightly so. Like, they, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm at a loss to explain why. Uh, and I haven't heard Mark Bergevin and his explanation, but just it, it just seemed like, such an easy choice for teams to respect this guy's wishes and move on to uh, plan B. And Tom, like quite frankly, the league should have some sort of mechanism in place that if a kid wants to opt out of the draft, that nobody can select them. Yeah. The, <sighs> yeah. I mean, it, what a, first of all, what a dark day, like what a dark way to end ESPN's first major NHL event. Right. Um, <laughs> totally. Just an yeah. amoral, selfish selection and you know honestly jpat like i get that these are high stakes jobs i get it but mining value outside the top 10 in the nhl draft an extraordinarily difficult thing to do has to be more important or like cannot sorry excuse me cannot be more important than like basic humanity and empathy you know there's just no excuse for that. Um, no consequences faced by Logan Mayu. Uh, a really ugly day for the NHL. And yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I was stunned. I'm kind of at a loss. And, you know, I, I hope the NHL takes some kind of action here. I don't know what they could do. Like, there's been no rules violated. Uh, I agree with you that there needs to be some sort of way for for a player like Mayu, Mayu to prevent this. Because... Just what a what a like what an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment for the league. Yeah, and if it had stopped there, it would have been bad enough. And then the chaser to that was the Chicago Blackhawks, embroiled in this sexual abuse scandal that they continue to hide behind the legal process, and nobody wants to comment. And of course, Mark Bergevin was part of the Blackhawks organization a decade ago, and up pops Stan Bowman, flanked by eight. Were they employees? Yeah, I think the they were. Hockey? I think they were women who worked in Chicago hockey operations. Just incredible. Yeah, incredible. It, but that felt sort of the extraordinarily backdrop. tone deaf. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and and you know, yeah, no. It was uh, it, it, the day was. I mean, the, the broadcast had dragged, but there were things I liked about it. I thought Weeks did really well. I thought Emily Kaplan, you know, emerged as a really useful. Um, informative voice on the broadcast. Uh, I thought she was, uh, you know, I think she's a star. And, you know, yeah, the broadcast dragged, but there was actual NHL news. Like, it was a fun day for hockey. And then the last commercial break happened and absolute cataclysm from there. Uh, enough to overshadow, you know, what, sh- what should have been remembered as like a, a pretty interesting, fun day for the sport. Um, just awful. Truly, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly really upset about it. Well, we'll see what the, black, the blowback is on day number two and beyond. 
Uh, Canucks will be allowed to take part in the second day of the draft. So uh, hopefully a little bit of Vancouver Canuck news to come out of rounds two through seven, and we'll see how that all plays out and if they are active and if they are able to recoup some picks. And uh, uh, we'll recap again. If it's significant enough, uh, we'll be back at this on Saturday at some point. If not, uh, we'll pick up as we usually do to start the week with a uh, full VanCast on Monday. That'll be my final week of VanCast. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm also a little sad about it. But uh, again, it's a week that's going to include free agency. So there's going to be no shortage of things to talk about between now and next week. Before we run, we talked about the Hughes brothers. Their mom, Ellen, is going to join Craig Custance and Sean Gentile on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. So check out Hockey Mom, Ellen Hughes, uh, here at The Athletic if you're looking for other pod options. Hopefully you're going to stay up really late and listen to this one, digest it into the wee hours of Saturday morning. Or maybe you get up early. And you wake up to uh, this edition of the VanCast, and you can check it out, uh, our thoughts and all that went down on a busy, busy day for the Vancouver Canucks uh, before the draft got underway. Uh, Tom, good stuff. As always, a day that uh, we'll remember for a while, and uh, it's a chance to look forward to some new players in Canuck uniforms, and uh, also to remember that we had the chance to cover Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, and Antoine Roussel as members. And and look, all three of those guys, um, Louis had a pretty low profile, but Beagle and Roussel, uh, top-notch top notch people. Yeah, just outgoing guys, fun to be around, fun to interview. Uh, so, you know, you thank those guys for uh, the time that they put in, and they move on, and we'll see if uh, any or all of them actually play for the Arizona Coyotes, so we'll see what next season brings when it rolls around. Yeah. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you're not already a subscriber, go to the VanCast or go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month for six months. That's the deal that we have for you at theathletic.com slash VanCast. All right, any final parting thoughts on the night? We'll miss you, Louie. <laughs> All right, let's leave it there for Drancer. It's JPAT. Thanks so much for joining us for this draft day edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.